This is the Gambling Gauchos. Somebody turn on some gambling! You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos. Talking Texas Tech. Betting on the Big 12 and beyond. We've got everything you need. Money lines, memes, and matadors. Well, you want to quit, Ethan? That'll be that day. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro. The Money Line Matadors, the Casino Cowboys, the Parlay Picadors. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. With the Gambling Gauchos. Oh, and one more thing. It's all West Texas. It always has been. Welcome into the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. Recording live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. We also have the third gaucho, all three gauchos today, Ryan Mainville. Uh, if you want to go check out Cardinals, you can do it live in person right here in Lubbock, Texas, around 68th and Slide. Or online at mycardinalsports.com. You can gear up for basketball season, which I know Kyle and Ryan and I are all excited for. You can see, uh, if you're watching this on Twitch or YouTube, we are actually in the Cardinal Sports Center studio instead of just kind of like metaphorically in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. New backdrop. Shout out to the Parlay Picadors. That's our Patreon subscribers. You can join that community for $5 a month. Patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. You could be streaming this episode live if you were part of that community. Um, what else do they get? As- access to the Discord server, access to exclusive interviews with guys like Cody Campbell, Dusty Womble, Fardaz Amac, Matt Mooney, Sonny Cumbie, and others. So we hope that you will join. Right now is your Saturday. <laughs> you know, it would have been better with the win but overall great day of football got to watch alabama fall which is always exciting but yeah that that 11 a.m slate when it starts off like that it's hard to truly enjoy your your saturday yeah you didn't have a you know a four-hour ride home after that with kyle which kyle wasn't the bad part but it's a good time kyle, kyle's not much into road trip games i found yeah i'm i'm an adult so <laughs> <laughs> Never too old for a road trip game. Rob was trying to play I Spy with me, and no, I was like, no, 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 can no, we just, no, no, no. I'll no, just no. read on my phone. Don't, Thanks, Rob. Don't be, don't be saying that. <laughs> um, okay, let's rip off the Band-Aid. We'll start with the TCU recap, and then uh, we'll not, we won't get into the rest of the Big 12 recap yet because we're going to do a special edition of Gauchos After Dark on Monday night. Um. Uh, schedules and other factors just weren't quite cooperating on Saturday. So we'll do that Monday night kind of in conjunction with the recap of the first Texas Tech basketball game. And so let's rip the bandaid off with TCU and then we can end on a happier note previewing the Texas Tech basketball season. I guess, Ryan, we'll start with you. Um, I think Rob and I have kind of discussed with each other in that four-hour truck ride that he alluded to some of our thoughts, but 
we were in the stadium at the game. Sometimes I know people get a different perspective on TV. What what are some of your just initial thoughts and takeaways high level after the Texas Tech loss to TCU? Yeah, I think the thing that continually stood out throughout the entire game was just the level of play that this Texas Tech defense was playing at. Obviously having a really good game on the front, Tyree Wilson, just an unbelievable game, you know, two and a half tackles for loss, eight total tackles. He was all over the field, constantly pressuring Max Duggan. And that was really um, a, an eye-opener for me was just how, how much this defense answered the call in this big game. But uh, just a complete dud offensively. You really had nothing going for you at, in the passing game. Ben Morton obviously leaving the game with an injury after starting off pretty well. And then Tyler Shutt comes in and has a pretty forgettable performance. And so, you know, I think you've got to kind of kick the dust off your feet. I think you learned some important things in this game, but there's definitely some, some questions and concerns as you look at the rest of the season, still in need of, of a couple of wins to, to get to bowl eligibility. I would argue that that was a memorable uh, opportunity for Tyler Shuck in that it was so bad. Yeah, it people was remember pretty, that one. Uh, it was pretty uh, incredible to, to go nine nine for twenty two, eighty four yards, one one touchdown, one interception. Uh, just just a really unconvincing and uninspiring game from him. Yeah, I was a little bit shocked. This is one of those things you miss in the stadium. Shocked? No. <laughs> Looking at the box score after the game and realizing that he had one fewer passing yard. At least the box score I looked at had it gave him credit for seventy eight passing yards and Morton seventy nine, and I was like, wow. Well, Morton sits out the last two and a half quarters and still somehow finishes with more production through the air than the guy who finished the you know final two thirds or so of the game. Um, I don't know why you know I think my biggest takeaway and biggest gripe on the concept of quote unquote play calling, and I see this all over Twitter. People want to gripe about play calling. That could mean a lot of different things. Like, are you talking about the aggressiveness on fourth down? Are you calling that specific play design? And sometimes I think they're even talking about the execution of the play call. And, you know, it's kind of a meme when fans are like, we need to call the touchdown play. Or why didn't the offensive coordinator just call the touchdown play? Well, when you were down 20 to 17, I think it was about fourth and two or three in your own territory. They called what appeared to be a run pass option. It looked like a legitimate pass option. Donovan looks at Taj Brooks, decides not to throw it, runs it, gets stuffed, and that completely changes the game. Had he completed the pass to Taj, Taj is still running. You get six on that play. And so we can scrutinize some of the decisions to go for it on fourth down and maybe the specific play designs and play calls in those spots. But in that specific instance, I thought the play call, he called the touchdown play, and we just didn't execute it. Um, but beyond that, just the the overarching sentiment on the play calling, the fact that you've run the ball for more than five yards per carry in your four Big 12 losses and only averaged, uh, what is it, 21 touches for your two primary running backs, Taj Brooks and Sir Roderick Thompson, to me is a little bit maddening because five-plus yards per carry for those two guys in those four games is really good production. And they need to be getting the ball basically twice as often, in my opinion. One hundred percent, it is a failing of this offensive coaching staff 
to not get the ball into the hands of Taj Brooks and Roger Thompson more. They are your two best players on offense. Um, except for maybe when Baron Morton's on the field. Uh, but even when Baron Morton is on the field, they are your two best offensive production machines. Uh, and I get that Xavier White had three great weeks. And I get that Miles Price was heavily publicized before the season. Taj Brooks and Roger Thompson are really good running backs. And it's not just run the ball more. It's give them the ball more. Because your quarterbacks have run for more than 10 times, just running attempts, in nearly every game this season. Don't don't call running plays for them. Well, Donovan has the skill set. Is Donovan Smith a better runner than Taj Brooks? No. Is it a surprise when Donovan Smith runs onto the field on third and one and runs the ball? No. It, it's 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 not schematic. It's not surprising. It's not a good move. Give the ball to Sir Roderick and Taj. That's why the pass option was there on that play. And like I said, they just didn't execute it. And so we can gripe about Kitley's play calling. He literally dialed up a play that's an easy seven points. Yeah. If we can complete a swing pass, and we can't. And it's a it's a gripe for me. But more than that, the players just aren't executing. And the players have made Zach Kitley look way worse this year than Zach Kitley has been. The offensive line has been brutal. Uh, just winning one-on-one matchups. Not scheme. Not style. Just winning one-on-one battles. You, you can't have Caleb Rogers get punked by a DB against Kansas State and then blame the play call and the quarterback. It is what it is. Um, it, it, that, that is a big gripe for me. And look, you're four and five. There's a lot of gripes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to preface all of this complaining I'm about to do with I've been down on this season for a couple of weeks, but I am very excited about what I've seen in spurts. And that makes me very excited for the Joey McGuire era moving forward. Once you have some burners on offense, once you have an experienced offensive line, and once you have some quarterback security with one guy playing more than five games. Before we get to high-level program talk, Ryan, what are your thoughts on the on the play calling, the fourth down aggressiveness, and just kind of like other failures or breakdowns offensively, like why it wasn't working on Saturday? Yeah, for me, I'm not a huge fan of the quarterback running game. I don't think that either one of these guys, any any of the three really are elite caliber runners. I mean, Smith can really use his lower half to, to push for yards, but we just really haven't seen it come around full circle. I mean, Morton has 42 carries and he's averaging 1.9 yards a carry. Smith has 72. He's averaging 1.4 and Shuck has 12. He's averaging 0.4. And so it's just, it's not working. I I think that the, that RPO, if there truly was a pass option there, which it did look like because of how open it was, I think that that's one where you're really shaking your head and hoping that you execute. But I think that your offense is in a position now where it's getting increasingly more difficult to to be cute and to pull that off. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little confused on what's next. I think you were really hurting without a couple of receivers on Saturday. I think that would have helped you out a ton. But, I mean, TCU was arguably without the best receiver in college football, and they still found a way. And so, 
Yeah, man, I, I think that a lot of these problems are, are fixable. I think you've just got to trust your players. You've got to give the ball to your best players. But I think in, until I see it on the field, I, I guess I'm going to hold on to this cautious optimism that, that maybe things will take a turn. Yeah, and it's it's probably too much of an oversimplification to say Zach Kelly just needs to hand the ball off twice as many times and will be successful on offense. But when he was hired, this was a very – common concern among the fan base who said, we don't want to throw the ball 60 times a game anymore. We want to get away from the Atmo air raid mindset. We want to run the ball because, and and Joey talked about playing complimentary football on offense and defense. And to me, when you're going tempo every single drive and when you're throwing it 47 or 63 times a game with banged up quarterbacks, making some of their first career starts while you've got Taj Brooks and Sroder Thompson combining for like 16 carries in some of these games, I am not convinced at all that he has any desire to be balanced on offense or that he's committed to running the ball. It looks like we're just going to throw it, whether that's the best option or not. And that's kind of frustrating because that's not what we were sold. And if you look at the box score, it's, well, you had more rushing yards and passing yards. Okay, but there's no balance because 70 of those rushing yards were when you you were down 21 and you broke two big ones with Cameron Valdez, right? So I do think there are, it's, it's, you nailed it there. It's not what we were sold in the press conference. And, and you can't always go back to that, but I was so excited when Joey got here. And it was the first thing that we talked about when Zach Kittley was hired. It was like, well, there's the first Joey didn't say exactly what he was going to do and do it kind of thing because that's when he was hired. Now, I think Zach Kittley is still very smart. And yeah. I am not out on Zach Kittley, but there are obvious failings from this offense this season that have led you to a four and five record. And it's it's talent, it's execution, it's some play calling, uh, but mostly you're just not a good football team yet. But on the on the talent and the personnel and the execution stuff, I get it. But coming into the season, if there was one position group on offense that you felt good about in terms of the experience, the depth, the talent, it was running back. Right. The question marks were at quarterback, the question marks were on the offensive line and at receiver outside of Miles Price. And so, okay, if we don't have a bunch of burners and we don't have a bunch of experienced receivers and we're doing this quarterback carousel due to injury or whatever, why aren't we leaning even further into just handing the ball off to your two best skill players on offense? Yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the runs you broke were because you throw it so much, because you, you kind of get light boxes because of that. Um, and you can't just run it 30 times because the offensive line is bad, mm-hmm. and they'll stack the box, and if you don't throw it, They'll have eight-man boxes, and then you're having to throw it, and you can't throw it because your offensive line is bad. So, But like on third and two, when Miles Price got mugged by LT's nephew. Yeah, and you're throwing it down the field. Why? I agree. I agree. You're completing less than 50% of your passes, and we're going to target a guy 25 yards down the field instead of just taking our chances running it twice and getting one yard each time. And then the other quarterback, the cold quarterback comes in, and you you run a an RPO or a whatever it is, it looked like a straight draw to me because Donovan never looked like he wanted to throw it. Um, and you run a draw on fourth and two and they're selling out. It just, that that doesn't make sense to me. I agree. Me neither. Um, Ryan, I know Rob's thoughts on this because we were talking about it this weekend. I was surprised to see Shuck come in when it was apparent that Morton was not returning. I just kind of assumed it would be Donovan because he has more starts this season. Shuck, I, I don't know if he's still hurt. I don't know if it's still in his head that he's hurt. 
But by this point in the season, based on the small sample size we got of Shuck versus Baylor, I just kind of assumed it would be Donovan's team after Morton went down. Were you surprised to see Shuck take the reins after that point? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, with with Donovan, the issue has kind of always been the turnovers. And so you're playing a pretty close game in Fort Worth, and you've got a guy, I mean, you, you've seen Smith take more passing attempts than anyone else on this team so far this year. And then you've got Shuck on a very low sample size who's, you know, got two touchdowns and two interceptions, but Smith has 12 and eight. And neither of those are great numbers. They're, in fact, pretty bad. Um, But I think the issue is just there there doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence in, you know, just letting Donovan Smith fly it loose down the field. Um, The problem is, though, I didn't think that there was a lot of confidence in Tyler Shuck either. And he just looked really out of it uh, on Saturday. I, I was really surprised to see him underthrow a couple of passes that I had seen him make at a much higher difficulty at Oregon, even some flashes that he showed last season. It, it just does not look like he's fully healthy to me, or I don't know, maybe he's out of game shape. Maybe it's just been so long since he's played big 12 football and that's kind of causing a, a learning curve for him. But I think with what you saw last weekend, you, you've kind of got your hands tied now. I, I think you've, You've got to go with Smith this upcoming weekend against Kansas, which, I mean, it feels like a little bit of a dice roll, but I I just don't know if you can play a quarterback who you don't seem to trust throwing the ball down the field, and when he does throw it, it ends up underthrown. It's, uh, again, if you're not trusting to throw the downfield, down why are you calling plays with three receivers down the field 10 yards plus and then Tyler Shucks throwing a floor to the sideline like maybe Tyler doesn't trust himself but that's another thing with the play calling uh there are receivers down the field and the quarterbacks just aren't throwing it down the field now there are a lot of plays where Donovan just turns and throws it to the sideline or Baron just turns and throws it to the sideline or Shuck just turns it and throws it to the sideline but I don't know there there's there that goes back to the execution, and and it's just I don't know that these quarterbacks. And when you talk about quarterback execution, if multiple quarterbacks don't execute well, you go back to the quarterbacks coach. And so, uh, I just I don't know if there's a game plan issue. I don't know if there's just too much that hasn't gone right. But a lot of it just doesn't make sense to me um, as to why you have so many failures and so many certain failures. Uh, but we talked about this on the way home, Kyle. Do the Texas game plan the rest of the year. Yes. Get Donovan out there, run the damn ball, and get Sir Roderick and Taj involved in the second half. I bet if I went and looked at the drive summaries from that game, there were more sustained drives, longer drives that kept your defense off the field than you've been able to duplicate or replicate since then. Because in a lot of ways, the loss to TCU mirrored your loss to NC State Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Uh, besides the NC State game, in all four of those, you had a lead in the second half. But kind of the same script. Offense struggles either for the entire game or for large portions of the game. Your defense gets put in some bad spots, holds up okay for the first 70%. But then by the end of it, they're sucking wind because they've been on the field all day. And they've just been put in bad spot over and over. And eventually, the dam is going to break. 
I was somebody asking about this exact thing. Um, basically, text the worst second half slash fourth quarter team in the country. Uh, we've never trailed by more than seven in any of our losses heading into the fourth. Then proceed to, to have gotten outscored fifteen to sixty six. I don't know if that's in all the games or just these losses. Um, do we run out of gas or are we getting out coached late? I. I think a little bit of both. Uh, in, in the Baylor game, you could see guys like Jalen Hutchings, who you know you need to stop the run. They were visibly tired, and so it's part of that. And I think there is a component of culture, mindset, coaching, whatever you want to call it, of like here we go again, or we're not used to winning in this spot. And I guess you kind of did because you did grind out wins early in the season against Houston and Texas, which is why it's surprising to kind of see you fall back into your old ways. Because you and I were big on, you know, Matt Wells, a Matt Wells team doesn't win this Houston game. Matt right. Wells team yep. doesn't win this Texas game. And so we thought, okay, they've successfully kind of implemented a new mindset. Um, Ryan, which way do you lean on that? Is it is it coaching or is it is it physical stamina related? Is it culture? What do you kind of ascribe the second half or fourth quarter struggles to? Yeah, I think in this game, it, it was noticeable how – how gassed the defense was. I mean, you talk about the play of Tyree Wilson getting that horrible face mask call and the the broadcast kind of zoomed in on him after the play and he was confused about the call, wasn't super happy about it. But the other thing that was noticeable was that he was just totally out, out of breath. And this guy is an NFL athlete through and through. And so I think in this game, you, you ran out of gas a bit defensively. I think you got outcoached offensively the entire game. And so I don't I don't really know if that's factoring in late into the game. But I think when you've had so much inconsistency at quarterback, it, it's just really difficult to put yourself in those positions where you're having to protect the football and drive it down the field that you're going to end up having good things go for your offense. And, I mean, you want to talk about the Texas game plan. I think this is really the avenue that this team is going to have to find late in the season. In games where they've run the ball more than 31 times, they are 3-0 and and only have three turnovers. In the other games where they have not run it more than 41 times, they are 1-5 and and they have committed 16 turnovers. So you've got to find a way to keep the ball on the ground and to pick up yards there. I yeah. think you even look at the Houston game at, at 2.7 yards per carry. That's not a good night running the football, but you gave your offense some balance and you allowed that to take some of the pressure off your shoulders when you kept throwing the ball to the other team. And so, yeah, I think part of it is fatigue. I think Baylor very clearly ran the gas out of their tank, but I, I just don't think that Texas Tech had any answer what, whatsoever for TCU. A hundred percent agreed. And I think it's also the, the data would show this, but also visibly there's been an improvement since non-conference play. Yes. You could not hand the ball off against Houston or NC state for any amount of production. But since then in big 12 play, it's been solid enough for you, for your guys, your two best skill players to get the ball more than a combined 21 times per game. I think there's a, an aspect of your coaching your guys out of games. Because when when you go for it after a three and out on the 34 on fourth down and fail, a- after you've given up a 80-yard touchdown drive because of penalties and all the momentum sucked out of the game, and you 
go down by 10 or whatever it was because of that, you've zapped your team. Yeah. Like, well, punt there. Well, and a lot of it is situational, too. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but NC State, the play that really turned that game, it's fourth and one. You're empty with the tight end. So you've got six on five. They have a five-man box. And instead of just running it straight ahead with your 230-pound quarterback to get one yard, you target somebody 20 yards downfield, and it's a pick six. And that play was one of four or five that probably ultimately cost you the game. Same deal in Fort Worth. Okay, we've got our backup quarterback in, getting his first meaningful reps of the season. And on third and two, we're going to target a one-on-one battle downfield instead of just handing the ball off when we're averaging five yards per carry with our running backs. Yeah. So I, I think there are valid criticisms. What I hate to see are fans in the middle of year one just completely bailing and thinking that it's okay to call the coaching staff you know, morons and idiots like they just forgot how to coach. Um, I think that's pretty Bush League, but I guess it comes with the territory. Um, the worst part about this weekend, do y'all want to know what it was? What was it? Not eating Reunio barbecue? They were closed. Ugh. So you couldn't even go drown your sorrows with the best barbecue in West Texas. So adding insult to injury. But they'll be open again next weekend. They're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week out in Olton. Follow them on social at Rahino BBQ to find out where their mobile food truck is going all across West Texas. Uh, that was part of our Ask Us Anything as we were driving to Fort Worth. What's your favorite order? You went with creamed corn for the side, a couple Texas Twinkies, and some burnt ends. Mm-hmm. I like the brisket burger a lot. I like the cheddar jalapeno sausage. Ryan, have you had the opportunity to eat Rahino barbecue yet? I have not, no. Okay, well, we'll get you in there. Yeah, we'll either we, maybe we can ship you some some frozen or I don't know. I'll get them to Lubbock. They probably don't do that. Or next time you're in Lubbock, we'll, we'll make it out there. Let's do it. Um, I don't want to talk about TCU anymore. Do y'all? No, but here's a funny question: uh, Is Joey McGuire saying everything runs through Lubbock? The new Sam Ellinger's we're back. <laughs> uh, no, because he was talking about next year in the future. He wasn't talking about this year. Um, and I think there's, I think there's still an, an opportunity for the new Big Twelve to run through Lubbock. Um, it's going to take more time than I thought it would, though. What is he supposed to say? I, that was a private moment that hey, they publicized. Granted, they publicized yes, it, which was dumb. But it's a locker room speech. But it's a locker room speech. I want him to say that stuff, and I hope that they still believe that stuff in the locker room. But what is he supposed to say? Hey, y'all got pretty lucky against UT. Y'all punched yeah. up. We're probably going to lose <laughs> yeah. a couple games at home this year. So yeah. Don't get any ideas about playing tough in Lubbock or anything like that. One more question about TCU. Jeez. Uh, Ryan, you watched the TV broadcast. Kyle and I were both at the field, and I, I noticed um, late in the game, it maybe it was after the fourth down attempt, or maybe it was the last TCU touchdown. But Malik Dunlap was furious at the middle of the defense for something and was over yelling at him and pointing, and there seemed to be some discourse happening. Uh, and then I saw a replay on ESPN uh, later that night of a coach holding back. I believe it was Rashad Williams. Well, was there something going on in the fourth quarter? Um, was there some some intrigue there on the sideline? Did or I can ask the chat too if anyone saw it. But uh, Ryan, was there something going on at the end of the game that you noticed? Yeah, I don't know. I- I saw a cutaway of somebody on the sideline going nuts, and the broadcast kind of instantly went away from that shot. It was never mentioned by by Clyde Johnson, so 
I, I've made a note to go back and look at that whenever I rewatch the game, probably on Monday, but nothing was said on the broadcast, but it definitely piqued my interest whenever I saw somebody just going ballistic at, at what it seemed to be teammates or, or coaches. Was Clatt brutal on the broadcast? He was actually not bad. The The surprising just narrative that happened throughout the game was Gus Johnson and his fury with analytics. Um, it was a very <laughs> surprising call by Gus. I don't think that he completely understands exactly what he's talking about, but all the power to him. Um, yeah, fight fight the good fight, man. We all, we all hate numbers. Well, and a lot of fans – I get it. Like, if you're not a total nerd about that kind of thing, you're you're not reading up on the math behind when to go for it on fourth down and when not to and when to run, when to pass. I, I was trying to explain it to my wife because she, um, she's familiar that I like to play blackjack when whenever we're in a state that has casinos. And I was explaining, like, the concept of hitting on 16. You're probably going to lose if you hit. You're probably going to lose if you don't hit. But your odds of losing are higher if you don't hit. And that's what I think a lot of people view punting as. is like, well, we're just going to kind of delay the inevitable. We're probably not going to beat TCU on the road anyway, but we'll give them worse field position if we punt it, and then they'll score anyway and beat us anyway. So it makes them feel better to not bust on 16 and let the dealer beat them instead. And I don't know which analytics firm Joey uses. I, I trust that like the math is sound and that it's not a judgment call, which I think some fans are still hung up on. They think he's like going with his gut or his brain or whatever, they're literally just reading a book that says, I'm just making this up. If you're at the 42-yard line and it's fourth and three, you should go for it. And then if it says go, they go. If it says don't, then they don't. They're not like... Is there a sucking wind component, though? Th- that's what I think there should be. And just like, okay, do, do these numbers... Like, how much context is there behind it? Because if you say, well, our defense is playing out of their mind... Yeah, we have, who, we haven't who given has up. the momentum? Right. That's where you you should have the human element and say... Hey, this leans like it leans. It says fifty-three percent chance we should go for it, but maybe let's not because the defense is playing so well and the you know offense is gassing or you know, whatever the case may be. But I think people still think like every single fourth down or whatever. Joey sits there for a few seconds and goes, "Hmm, I wonder if we should go for it." Yeah, I guess we will. Like they're literally just reading a spreadsheet that says go or don't go, and then going with it. And maybe the analytics firm they're using sucks. But I also think well, you know it's the one it's uh, CP CPL or something. It's the one everybody uses. Like I said, I I assume the math is correct there. Yeah. But you don't win the Texas game without that strategy. Right. And you might be losing games by more than you otherwise would have, but you're still increasing your odds of winning. Does that make sense? Yes. You're increasing variance. And so you're increasing the margin by which you might win, but you're also increasing the margin by which you might lose. But if you just if you don't hit on 16, you're going to lose at a higher rate. It'll just make you a little more comfortable because the dealer is going to beat you instead of the bust card. That's that's like the one punt that I wanted this whole time was from the 34. or Was it the 34? I keep saying yeah. the 34. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's, I know you can't pick and choose, but choose that one. Uh, I mean, you're, you have the, you have an All-American punter mm-hmm. that has flipped the field. Now, one last point about TCU. You gave up a punt return the very first time and the very first punt. And then we're in the game, didn't back down. And I thought Tim DeRuiter coached his ass off for three quarters until 
a face mask and a PI gave TCU their first touchdown and completely demoralized the defense. Uh, and it was just like, all right, the the straw broke the camel's back. It's it's over now, which is a little disappointing. But TCU is in year one with a new coach, kind of. Uh, it that roster was complete, and. There's a reason they fired Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson was no-showing, and this is a very complete offense. Uh, Miller's a veteran. Johnson's a veteran. He didn't do anything against you. Was he out? Did he play? He caught one ball? I think he got injured really early. Is that right, Ryan? I don't remember seeing him on the field at all. I could be wrong, but I believe the broadcast was talking about the fact that he re-aggravated the foot during warm-up. Gotcha. Ah, okay. Gotcha. And then, uh, you know, Max Duggan is a four-year starter. So, I like, that's a complete offense. And there's a lot of talk of, oh, would Tech be 8 No, if Sonny was here? No. 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 Sonny walked into a warm bed and has coached very well. Well, and also, they, him and his coaching staff missed the eval on their starting quarterback. They wanted to start Chandler Morris. Yep. And they wanted Max Duggan, who's turned into a pretty legitimate Heisman contender, to be the backup. I wish I had time to do this before we started recording it as far as pulling their average recruiting class ranking the last four years and their number of four-star or higher recruits versus yours. Because you're right, he inherited the third-best roster in the Big 12, and there's data that supports that, or close to it. Maybe he's like tied with Baylor or something. And you've been recruiting in the bottom 10% of the Power Five since probably 2015. And that adds up. And you can take transfers like Tyree Wilson. He's a legit NFL guy. But it, yeah. And I think that's part of the fourth quarter struggles too is like Jalen Hutchings, Tony Bradford are great, but other teams have two of each of those guys and they can just rotate bodies and more or less get the same result. And you don't necessarily have that luxury behind your starters. And so when the injuries and the conditioning stacks up against you in the fourth quarter, it puts you at a disadvantage. Even now, I mean, just look at the recruiting Texas 12 four stars, Oklahoma 13 four stars, Baylor three, Tech three, TCU four. Yeah. So no, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be eight and oh with with Sonny Dykes. All right, can we be done talking about TCU now? Yeah, let's talk basketball about that. Yeah, we got Mainville on to uh talk basketball. So <laughs> I'd much rather do that with a season full of optimism and hope ahead of us instead of continuing to rehash whatever the heck we saw in Fort Worth. Um, I guess I'll give you the floor, Ryan. Clean slate. Give us maybe a key thought or just your sentiment on the Texas Tech basketball team before they tip off tomorrow against Northwestern State. I think you've got a really interesting team on your hands this year. You've got a handful of guards that that could be really good, specifically Pop Isaacs and Davion Harmon. I think those are probably two of the best ball handlers that have come through Lubbock in quite a while. Demarion Williams and Lamar Washington are two kind of combo type guards that can do a little bit of everything. And I really do think both of those guys will end up being key depth pieces for this team throughout the year. You've got Jalen Tyler. 
Tyson, who's had a phenomenal last couple of months. He's developed really well. His offensive game has been polished out. His defensive game has come around. And so I think that he has a legitimate chance to lead this team in scoring. We'll see what happens, though. You've got Kerwin Walton, a knockdown three and D guy. Elijah Fisher, the top-rated recruit in Texas Tech basketball history. I think he's a little bit raw right now, but certainly the talent and the intangibles are there. Kevin O'Banner is the one real bona fide returner on this team, and I really do think Texas Tech is going to need him with how much change they've undergone over the past couple of months. Daniel Bacho might be Wilt Chamberlain. Robert <laughs> Jennings is going to be phenomenal in the pick and roll. KJ Allen looks like he's lost 60 pounds, and obviously the big maple, Fardaz Amak could have a really special season when returning but the foot's a bit of a concern for me right now and i'm curious to see how he gets back into the fold after sitting on the bench for a while a couple follow-ups for you that i think are going to be big storylines this season one your point guard last season kevin mcculler i thought was a misfit at that position now there were advantages to playing him at point guard because having a six five guy with his defensive ability and his length has its advantages but having a guy with his turnover rate per 40 minutes and lack of scoring ability was also a detriment to you. And that was kind of the story of last year's team was elite defense, number one defense in, in the country per Ken Palm. And one of the worst three point shooting percentages in the history of big 12 basketball, if I recall correctly. So you, you trade out for a, a very different style point guard, but I think a guy who's probably equal in caliber. And I want your thoughts on that with Davion Harmon. And he's, He's going to have more assists, fewer turnovers, can create his own shot, better three-point shooter, equal free-throw shooter, but his steals and blocks per 40 minutes is going to be considerably lower than McCullers. He's, I think, listed at 6'1", 6'2", so he's probably my size. And like I said, K-Mac had that great length and height that was you know pretty outstanding at that position. So what do you think about the trade-off at the point guard position and then and just in case I forget my second question, it's about Fardaz. So you can remind me after you answer this one. Yeah, I think Harmon's got some really good stuff. I mean, he may not be the exact caliber or length of defender as McCuller is on the ball, but the way that Davion Harmon can defend pass, passes and ball handlers without committing a foul is really, really special. He's got good hands a high motor. I think that he's really going to impress on that end of the floor. And then offensively, I mean, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this team really may go as Davion Harmon goes. I mean, just a guy that has kind of bounced around a couple of different places in college basketball and has fit a variety of different roles. He struggled at times, didn't have a great year at Oregon last season, but I really do think that he's got some stuff that, that can be really, really good. He just he does not turn the ball over, which is really helpful as a point guard, even when his assist numbers may be a little bit lower than you'd like to see. But I think ball protection is something that he's really good at. He's fast. He's really strong in transition. I think that's going to be a place where he kind of makes a living, specifically in non-conference play. But, I mean, if he can get the ball to the open shooter – if he can protect it without turning it over, and then if he, if he can play good on-ball defense, I think that he's going to be really everything uh, that this team needed from him. 
Yeah, and I think he'll be a high usage guy. You know, um, I'm curious to see how the substitutions work this year because I would like to see a guy like Harmon with his experience, you know, get 32 minutes, 34 minutes a game, assuming he's conditioned to do that. Um, but what intrigues me about, about him, his career three point shooting percentage is 5% higher than K Max. It's 34% to 29. And 34 isn't anything to write home about, but it's serviceable. And it makes me think you can't just leave him totally wide open. Whereas K-Mac was like a total liability um, from behind the arc. And so, yeah, there are trade-offs there. And I, I think you touched on another great point. His ability to defend on the ball without fouling is an asset because obviously the fouls add up and free throws are basically the easiest points you can give to the opposition. So I'm curious to see how that unfolds and kind of comparing those two, especially once we get to Big 12 play. Um Another interesting note I found looking at their career stats, Harmon has started more games in his career than K-Mac has played in. I think it's 79 to 78 in that respect. And at a high level, I mean, Oregon and Oklahoma, you know, that's legit power five, power six basketball. Um, the Fardaws injury has definitely kind of shined a spotlight on Daniel Bacho and his importance to the team because he's really your only true big man. But my question is really more until Fardaws comes back, and is in game shape and all that, which which may be. I mean, we've seen conflicting reports. I'm kind of ruling him out as being a real impact player this season. And so besides Bacho, you've got a lot of guys like K.J. Allen, Kevin O'Banner, and Robert Jennings that aren't really true inside post players but are going to have to kind of be relied on to do some interior defending and rebounding. What do you think about those three um, being able to fill in alongside Bacho to replace – the injury of from Fardaws this season. Yeah, I'm with you and just being really cautious and honestly a little bit pessimistic on what Fardaws AMAC could could end up being this year. I think that the injury um, is probably a little bit worse or a little bit more harmful than it initially seemed. I think it's just really difficult for a guy to miss, you know, your entire non-conference slate and then just get thrown into the fire of Big 12 play and really be successful but I think Daniel Bacho with all the talk on his offensive game I really think the thing that he may need to do more than anything else next year is defend the rim he hasn't been good at it throughout his college career he he tends to get in foul trouble when he's there but he's got good length I think he's got good intangibles and then his athleticism will really help him out in that department and so I think Daniel Bacho is really the guy that's going to be your, your true big as long as Dawes is out he's going to be the guy that you put on the block to grab some boards and hopefully block shots and then Kevin O'Banner I think you're really just looking for him to turn a corner on his shot making this year I think that you know, with the Steve Green offense, you're going to have the ball in the hands of the guards quite a bit, and they're going to be looking to to get the ball to open shooters. And man, it, it's just it, Kevin O'Banner feels he feels due. Like after last season and how much he struggled and how much his numbers dropped off um, from where he was at at Oral Roberts. Obviously, a different game in the Big Twelve, but he's a better shooter than, than last year indicated. And so, I think that's the main main thing for him next year is just make your shots and then incorporate some of that stuff that you were doing towards the end of last season around the rim that just provided a ton of success for you. And I think with with Robert Jennings, I'm really intrigued on just the the athleticism of Jennings he's a really good vertical player you look at the guys in this 
on this roster. And really, Jennings and, and, and Allen are two of the best vertical players that are especially among the bigs rotation. And so I'm excited to see what Robert Jennings can do in the pick and roll game. I think that he's a little bit of a question mark for me in terms of just what impact he truly makes this season. But I think he's got good stuff. And then with KJ Allen, I just feel like I don't even know exactly what he's going to be this year because he has just lost so much weight. He looks like a totally different player. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, you look at guys like Jennings and, and Allen, and I wouldn't expect either of them to play very much. They're, they're going to have to probably towards the beginning of non-conference just due to the injury. But this bigs rotation, man, they are going to be a lot of eyes on, on Kevin O'Banner and Daniel Baccio over these next couple of weeks. Do you think there's um... – let me see how to say this. Do you think there's a good mix of talent and experience and youth? Or do you think this team might struggle because of the amount of youth on this team and the amount of youth that's going to need to play and grow up fast? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm almost more worried about just the complete roster turnover that you've suffered, which feels like something that a lot of people overlook and dismiss because it's college basketball, right? And and that's the reality of the sport at this point is you've just got to get used to having a completely different team every year. But you look at the numbers for Texas Tech, and they're returning just 19% of the minutes played from last year and 18% of their points scored. Yes, they have been subject to some crazy off season, but those are numbers that have not been seen uh, over the last couple of decades. And so the inexperience is more of a concern for me, but I do think that there is a lot of youth. Granted, Pop Isaacs has apparently had a really, really good off season. Jalen Tyson is playing like a veteran, even though he's only played a couple of, you know, collegiate games. And so I think, if you can kind of get reliable play from from one freshman in each position group, specifically, if Pop Isaacs can handle the ball without turning it over at a crazy rate, and if Jalen Tyson can score the ball at a consistent rate, you can allow guys like Lamar Washington and Elijah Fisher to kind of find their role and find their rhythm in, in Big 12 play. So, yes, I think you need one of these guys to hit, um, preferably both of them. But for me, it's just a complete fresh slate of this roster that's more concerning than the youth. I'm with you 100%. I'm actually not concerned about the youth because you look at some of your, I guess, maybe starters and first couple guys off the bench, or at least who we anticipate. Daniel Bacho is in his third year in a Power 6 program. He spent one at Arizona. This is second at Texas Tech. Kevin O'Banner is in his fifth season of college basketball. Uh, Jalen Tyson, he's young, but he's in his second year in a Power 6 program. Last last year kind of split between Texas and Texas Tech. Davion Harmon is going into his fourth year in a Power 6 program. And so, and, and then some of your guys off the bench, Kerwin Walton spent two years at UNC. This would be his third year in a Power 6 program. And Damarian Williams, I think this is his maybe fourth season of college basketball. So there is some... I think there's a good balance. You you have young, exciting guys that aren't very experienced, Elijah Fisher, Lamar Washington, Pop Isaacs. But it's not as if you're starting five and maybe two of your first three or four off the bench are Johnny come lately to college basketball or particularly high-level college basketball. But having said that, like you alluded to, it's a lot of new pieces, and with that comes chemistry and all that. Um, question I have for you, I'm, I'm a big believer in this in basketball, is you need a guy who – when the offense isn't scheming exactly 
like it's supposed to. You need someone that you can just call time and say, hey, we're going to put the ball in your hands, go get a bucket. And last season, that was definitely Bryson Williams with how effective he was in the post. And you had to lean on that at times when everybody else was cold. This season, I, I'm leaning toward that maybe being Jalen Tyson, if he's as good as the hype indicates, or maybe it could be Kevin O'Banner. Uh, do you have any thoughts on who's going to be the go-to guy on this roster for when you just absolutely need a bucket and we need somebody to create their own shot? Yeah, I feel like the safe bet for me would be Harmon. I feel like just given his athleticism, his ability to kind of score at the rim and also be improved three-point shooting last year. So with his college basketball experience, he'd probably be my pick. But but a close second for me would be Jalen Tyson. If it ends up playing out, how I think it will and just the threat that he can be offensively. I like the way you phrased that. He said it's a safe bet. There you go. You're coming into your own as a gaucho, Ryan. That's we love stuff like that. All right, let's ride. (laughs) Let's Let's ride. ride. Uh, One last kind of comment and question before we get to some uh, season props that Kyle has. Um, A lot has been said about TCU this off season. Uh, They are highly respected and ranked. Texas talked about ahead of Texas Tech. and then you had, I guess, Kansas and Baylor as kind of the stalwarts at the uh, top of the conference. So those five, Texas Tech, Texas, TCU, Baylor, Kansas. Um, is there anyone else that might compete for a Big 12 title? Is Oklahoma with Porter Mosier finally going to start punching up a little bit? Um, Oklahoma State still dealing with some scholarships. Kansas State looking intriguing to me with Jerome Tang and the amount of recruiting they did in the offseason. Um, I guess what I'm asking is maybe a guy who wants to punch up from the bottom and then maybe a team that might fall back from the top. Before you answer that, Ryan, um, we posed this question on Twitter based on the Big 12 preseason picks, and we asked, we kind of asked like buy or sell, who's a good candidate to move up two spots from where they were picked and who's a good candidate to maybe finish two spots below where they were picked. What were the overwhelming? I'm guessing with our fan base, Texas was probably the one that moved down. Honestly, it was all over the place. Okay. A, a pretty wide variety of answers, but that's kind of how I pose that question. And so if you want to think of it in those terms, Ryan, uh, would be really curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think if there was a team that I was going to sell, assuming that they moved down two spots from where they were ranked in the preseason, it would probably be Oklahoma State for me, honestly. And man, they just seem to have. A couple of guys every year, um, but there just hasn't been anything over the last couple of years that it gives me enough confidence to think that this is a, a top five team in the Big 12. I think that Musa Cisse is obviously going to be one of the best big men in the country, but really that offense is going to have to to start with Avery Anderson. And for all the hype that he's received over the last couple of offseason, it just feels like it's been a struggle for him to to put it together on a consistent rate throughout the course of the entire season. He's shown some pretty serious flashes uh, throughout his, his career, but I think for me, I'm, I'm going to have to sell on Oklahoma State. A team that I would have to buy, I'm, I'm going to go TCU just because they're slotted at four, and I, I would be really surprised if they don't end up top top three in the Big 12, and I'll round it out and just go ahead and say I, I think Baylor, Kansas, TCU is probably going to be your your top three um, and, and at the end of Big 12 play. I'm not exactly sure what order they will be in, uh, but that feels like a, a good play for me. 
I think I'm with you 100% on Oklahoma State, and I'm I'm not a believer in Mike Boynton. He's in, what, year five, maybe year six there. He has one NCAA tournament win, and it was with Cade Cunningham on his roster as a three seed. And I know they've had other roster issues and the NCAA sanctions issues, but I'm in believe it when I see it mode on Mike Boynton. And every year I hear that he's a great recruiter and they're bringing in all this talent, and it never has come together yet. I'm actually a little bit – I think the hype is so high on TCU, it's going to be hard for them to live up to it. And maybe it kind of depends on how you frame what success is for them. Do I think they're a legitimate Big 12 title contender? Absolutely not. But even short of that, people are talking about them like a top three or four seed in the NCAA tournament. I think even that would be a pretty big leap, again, for a program that just hasn't proven the ability to do that. And so I think they might have trouble living up to preseason expectations, kind of like Texas last season being ranked preseason top 10 and being really nowhere near that good by the end of the season. Um, I'm kind of conflicted on who could move up just because the depth of the conference is so good. Like, I want to say, yeah, Iowa State or Oklahoma because Porter Moser really came on at the end of last season. Texas Tech? Yeah, potentially. But also, like, okay, who are they going to leap? Because everybody ahead of them is also good because the conference is just stacked. Well, technically, they were tied at fifth. So if you're moving down Oklahoma State, they'll be solo fifth and then move ahead of Texas. So there you go. There it is. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get into some of the props because some of them kind of speak to that. Uh, before we do... Can I counter you just real quick? Yeah. TC has the best player of the conference. I have heard some people say that. And they also have uh, Eddie Lampkin, who was just a bad player early and really figured some stuff out last year. If he can repeat his last month for a season, um, TCU's going to be good. Okay. Okay. They all, like, thir- like third or better. They haven't played in a Sweet 16 game since like the Civil Rights Act. So... Until this year. Part of it is like, have you been there before? And Jamie Dixon has at Pitt, but the rest of their roster has not been. Yeah. I mean, I hate TCU as well. Some of their, I'm not saying it because I hate TCU. I'm saying it because it's kind of a little bit outlandish to be like, oh, for the first time in 60 years, you guys yeah. are going to do something you well, haven't that's done. That's true. That's true. It's a bold prediction. And like, I know Mike Miles is good. I know Eddie Lampkin is good. And they were very competitive in the tournament last year. They won a game and then they almost beat a one seed. They should have. They got hosed on a bad call. But it's the hype is so real. It's so high that I, I think it's going to backfire a little bit. I don't want to read too much into an exhibition game, but Kansas offensively looked really bad against Pitt State. <laughs> and, you know, See. we don't get to we don't get to air the the UTEP scrimmage or whatever it was that allegedly Texas Tech only won by four. Uh, but that's a Golding team, right? Pete? Pete Golding? Well, what's the what's the ACU coach that went to UTEP, Ryan? That's a Joe Golding, I believe. Joe, Joe, yeah. Joe, there you go. I thought it was Pete. Pete Golding is Alabama's defensive coordinator, isn't it? Maybe. I think. Joe, anyways. Um, Joe, is it Joe? Yeah. Joe Joe Golding, yeah. It is Joe. He, uh, I mean, that's just the kind of game you win against a guy like that. I mean, it's yeah, low yeah. scoring. You, you win by four. You don't apologize for it. Uh, but Pitt State didn't look great or athletic, and Kansas really struck. Did you watch any of that game? No, I something else came to mind I wanted to ask Ryan about. Ryan, did you catch any of that Kansas game? I watched a little bit of the first half while while they were struggling and, and then when they pulled away in the in the second half, I kind of I turned away. But definitely some uh some pretty ugly basketball yeah. in the first quarter, I think. And how bad does you know, uh, how bad of spacing does Kevin McCullough have? I'm pretty, serious. Pretty horrible. <laughs> 
I'm serious. I know you are. That was the whole problem with him at Texas Tech. He never yes. got to space anything. And the offense couldn't run a motion offense because none of Terrence Shannon and Kevin McCuller do, did not know how to run a motion offense. He wasn't they, a they to were do never, on offense. They were never spaced right. He couldn't create his own shot. He couldn't shoot if left open. It's just like there was a layup that they put up on social media where Kevin McCullough runs into the back of the guy shooting the layup because he's so tor- poorly spaced. Anyways, yeah. Ryan, well, what, what were you saying? My bad. <laughs> I just had to take a shot at uh, Kevin McCullough. Well, people are gonna act like any criticism of him is like, oh, you guys are just mad that he left. Like, no. There, there were some serious flaws while he was here. And they had like, zero spacing last year. And, and we were nicer about it while he was here. But yeah. And we'll probably be a little bit overly harsh now that he's not here, but still. Um, Ryan, something just popped in my, into my mind because you just got back on Twitter and you're very good at Twitter. Um, what is Jeff Goodman's deal? Because like, even the way he just reported on the scrimmage – does he just know that Texas Tech fans will take the bait and that he'll get good engagement? Does he have animus toward Mark Adams and the program, or is he just kind of a Twitter troll? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, engagement numbers are engagement numbers, and there's there's certainly no no secret that Texas Tech fans are, are very active on Twitter. And, I mean, you even look at some of the Spark Sport graphics or whatever it is where they always post the head coaches that get the most engagement yes. those things are dumb i'm a, i'm oh. a marketing major and so i i know that those engagement numbers are just their vanity metrics there, there's no benefit for a head coach other than just you know numbers and i think the same thing is true for him he's just trying to get people to like his content i think that he very clearly saw that he could poke uh, texas tech fan base's buttons and when he did so, that they responded quite actively. And so, yeah, I don't blame him for uh, for trying to have some fun with it. It's yeah. pretty annoying. And I, I think some of it is a little bit eyebrow-raising, specifically talking about, you know, Texas Tech looked horrible in the scrimmage. Yeah. They, they still won. And, you know, I, I don't know what he what he's up to with, with the AMAC injury. There, there still hasn't been really any follow-up comment on that, even after Mark Adams provided clarification. But, yeah, man, Twitter is Twitter. And, and those little red notifications that our, that our brains are addicted to can, can get the best of you. Yeah, I guess I get it on one hand because I, I did that all summer. You know, I put – for example, that Zach Evans was the greatest running back to play at a university that Ladanian Tomlinson played at on Who's purpose that? to get engagement. Um, but on the other hand, I'm disappointed because Goodman was doing this last year, and it felt like we had kind of a come-to-Jesus moment with him on our podcast and then hanging out with him at Two Docs where he was like, okay, like, yeah, I respect Texas Tech fans. I might have overstated how bad of shape their program was in once Chris Beard left. He talked really highly of the atmosphere. And now here he is again, just talking about injuries and well, they looked horrible in this scrimmage. And like uh, Jeff, like we we had made yeah, so yeah. much progress. Well, you you mentioned Chris Beard. I think we're underrating how good of a friend Chris Beard is to Goodman. Right, right? They were friends before. Yeah, they're drinking buddies. And so no, if he, he gave up beer, Beard did. No, he didn't. So, He's so back on it. <laughs> He's back on the beer. Yeah, stay off the beer. He also just took straight shots of everything last year. Uh, anyways, yeah, he said he said it was bad. He did. He talked about it, dude. I'm not. I'm not saying anything that Beard hasn't said. By the way, Beard's drinking beer again. That's what he there, said. There's stuff I wish I could say on this pod, but go ahead. Um, 
mean, I know, I know. Um, but but I think Goodman is just a friend of Beard, and and Goodman had incredible insight into this program when Beard was here, because either Beard or his minions would text Goodman info all the time. That's why Rothstein and Goodman just say sources, because they are friends with coaches that text them. It's not sources that they are getting texts from inside the program. Yeah, and when Beard left, and everyone that left with Beard, those were all Goodman's guys. But there's also so Goodman was kind of. A little bit of like a name dropper at Two Docs. A little bit? Yeah. He was like, dude, I could text these coaches right now and, like, yeah. and they'll tell you. But that's his thing. So, well, his sources aren't even like people connected. To the, like he'll, he'll just text Chris Beard and be like, yes. hey, who looks good in camp? And then he'll put out, oh, so-and-so might be one of the best players in the Big 12. Keep an eye out for him. Like he had, he had coaches texting him. He texted a bunch of them at one time because we were arguing like, which is the better job, Texas Tech or Texas? D- depends on, I guess, what you mean by better job, but... He had like six responses within five minutes of like FBS or um, right Division One head coaches being like, "Are you kidding me? It's Texas because of the NIO money and all this stuff." Anyway, anyway, we don't have to talk about Jeff Goodman anymore. Yeah, I want to get to our props, but before we do that, would like to announce and welcome to the Gambling Gauchos family a new sponsor, Stay Trig Short Term Vacation Rentals. So you might be thinking to yourself, "Well, I already use Airbnb or VRBO, and I can just stay in a hotel." Well, Stay Trig is really cool. It's a local business. It's like a local version of Airbnb. And so they have houses in the Lubbock area that you can stay at if you're coming back for graduation, sporting events, business, anything like that. And it's kind of like a luxurious high-end Airbnb, so you don't have to roll the dice and trust the reviews from other strangers. You always get the entire home to to yourself. Um, They're all stocked with kind of the same level of decor. They're professionally decorated, professionally furnished. It's a really good alternative to Airbnb um, you know, sometimes on these graduation weekends, football weekends, the hotels fill up and it's really expensive for like the worst hotel room in town with state rig. You have another option and you don't have to really go that route. They also have houses, you know, near tech in the medical district, um, West Lubbock, South Lubbock, which are convenient for business travel. So if you're coming down for a basketball game, but you want to stay, you know, in South Lubbock to, to get around town and to, to maybe just get down to the game and then back in South Lubbock, they can do that too. And we have a promo code. For our listeners, if you um, are traveling to Lubbock for maybe Kansas football, Oklahoma football, basketball season, graduations right around the corner, or if you're just coming in for like Thanksgiving, if you've got family here, our listeners at staytrig.com, they get 10% off their first rental using the promo code gauchos. So make sure you tell them that we sent you 10% off. And uh, I I would prefer this option to a hotel or an Airbnb that you're not exactly sure what you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you can certainly look for opportunities in the coming months, but I would say, especially if you're planning for basketball, lock it in, lock it in because, uh, stay trig fairly new, but already very popular. Um, so stay trig.com gauchos is the code. And if you know, you're coming to a game in February, lock it in. They do fill up fast. Um, the Airbnbs hotels in Lubbock. So, uh, if you know you're coming for a certain weekend, go ahead and lock it in with stay trig at staytrig.com. Okay, some season props and predictions, I guess, wrapped in there. We'll go around the horn. We'll start with Ryan, Rob, and then I'll give you all my thoughts. Uh, I have a list of my own, but y'all are welcome to chime in with your own if you'd like. We'll start with this. Ryan, who will be Texas Tech's player of the year at the end of the season? I'll take Davion Harmon. Okay, I like Mm. it. Rob? Just because I want it to happen, Daniel Bacho. Okay. I believe the hype. 
I'm going Kevin O'Banner. Ooh, that's a good one. Experience, uh, high usage. He's going to clean up the glass. He's going to shoot 40% from three this year, like he has for most of his career. And so I'll go with him. I think he's going to fill the stat sheet, and I think he's going to play a lot. Would you prefer to have NCAA tournament O'Banner, where he's just a 10-10 machine? Or would you rather have stand in the corner and knock down 40% of threes and score 25 every once in a while O'Banner? Because you can't really have both. NCAA tournament O'Banner, because we're going to have other guys this season that can fill the role yeah. of standing around the arc, spacing, and shooting that you didn't have last year. And then still take maybe 50 threes yes. and, and knock them down. And he's just an absolute dog in March dog. during tournament time. So give me that version of Kevin O'Banner. You may have had this a while. For those who didn't quite catch it, Rob almost hit this one. I want winners. Um, okay, next <laughs> Um, so Ryan, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, cause I think your expert opinion is probably more valuable than mine. I think four starters are pretty well locked in given the AMAC injury. It'll be Bacho, Kevin O'Banner, Jalen Tyson, and Davion Harmon. Who do you think starts the season as the fifth starter? And who do you think finishes the season as the fifth starter? Ooh. Oh man. Tough question. I think Monday night, if I had to guess, it'd probably be pop isaacs which feels pretty daring just considering how difficult it is to play true freshman in a, in a conference as competitive as this but i think that he can do some really good things throughout non-conference play now who ends it is really a mystery to me i, I think that you could be in a position where you know, you're going lengthier and Elijah Fisher ends up better than advertised and you, you're just running Harmon at the guard. I think that you could kind of put in a utility guy and allow Demarion Williams to line up next to Harmon. Maybe Walton evolves into a really consistent 3 and D player. And so I'll go with, with Isaacs for the first week of the season. But uh, that, you know, last last week of the season, thinking about the, the fifth starter is really a, a mystery to me right now. What say you, Rob? Well, I think it's been reported that Pop Isaacs is starting, um, at least started during some scrimmages and against UTEP. So I feel like that's a pretty safe bet from Ryan. What about finishing the season? Do you think it'll develop in a way that he maybe gets ousted, or do you think he maintains well, that spot? Well, it'll be interesting to see how well Bacho plays before... AMAC gets back and what that means when AMAC comes back. Um, Cause I don't think you'll play with all three right of O'Ban or Bacho and AMAC at the same time. Um, and does Jennings develop? Is it something like Bacho and Jennings are just so good together. You want them out there more and then O'Banner and AMAC are the pair to come in next. Um, but if pop Isaac starts and plays well, I would just assume that he is the starter all year. I agree with you all that Pop Isaacs will get the start coming out of the gates here. I I guess on one hand, I'm hopeful that he maintains that spot because it means he's playing well. But I think Demarion Williams has kind of been a little bit forgotten about during the offseason. Guy with a ton of experience under his belt, pretty good size. I think he's about 6'5 or so. I think he's probably comparable to Jalen Tyson. Is he the Adonis Arms? I think he could be just a guy who has a reliable shot, which you didn't have last year is big enough to switch onto multiple positions and who you just say, you know what? He's an experienced guy. Um, he's not gonna turn the ball over. 
He can knock down shots. If if the defense is there for him, I think he's going to be a legit maybe six man and maybe starter opposite Tyson on the wing. With Pop and um, Davian, is this the shortest starting five you've had since like pre pre beard or maybe the beard's first year? We had like uh, probably because Keenan Evans was a pretty yeah. small point guard, not small, but like six three. I guess Mac McClung was short. Yeah, but then I, everybody else is six six. I guess McClung and Kyler Edwards started together. Yeah, on some of those rosters. But yeah, yeah, it, a it, lot of them. Th- that is a, and I think last year's team again it was a tough matchup because the defense was so good. But Adonis Arms, T.J. Shannon, Kevin McCuller, and probably other guys I'm missing right now were just so similar in terms of. Build, height, athleticism. You're almost like too duplicative. Right. Top I just to don't bottom. think you'll switch as good. Right. But you know what? Maybe you shouldn't. Because Mac McClung was getting stuck on post players because they switched everything. And I always kind of laughed at that. Well, and Bryson Williams, for as good as he was on the offensive end, he could hold his own on the defensive end. But if he got switched onto a good ball handling guard, he usually got cooked, which, you know, that's tough to do as a post player. Chef Bryson got cooked. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, okay, next one. Kind of an interesting question. Let me know if I botch this as I'm posing it to you and you need me to clarify. But the non-conference is filled with a bunch of garbage quad four games. The only compelling ones to me are Maui, Georgetown, and then the SEC Challenge against LSU. That one's in Baton Rouge. Between those three sets of games, Maui, LSU, and Georgetown, if I gave you over or under two and a half wins... What would you take? Because I also, I guess I need your clarification on this, Ryan. Maui is double elimination, right? So you you are going to play multiple games, and it depends on how many you win and lose. Is that correct? No. Yeah, there's a loser's bracket. Yeah, you play three games regardless. You play three even if you it's lose not, your first Yeah, two? it's not a tournament. Oh. It's a tournament, but you play three games. Okay. Right, right Ryan? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, then I'll, I'll adjust the number then to over under three and a half between Maui, Georgetown, and LSU in the non-con? I'll take the over, just because I think you beat both Georgetown and LSU. And so I, I don't think you beat Creighton, especially without Fardaz Amac, but I think you may be able to to get a win over Louisville if they end up um, you know, advancing or falling, however this structure works. I think that you can you can kind of scramble through one or two of those games, but I think you you beat both Georgetown and LSC, so I'll take I'll take the over. Three and a half over I'll, under. I'll, I'll take the over with less analysis. Okay. I'm actually gonna go under because even going back to Beard's teams, you've not been good early in the season. You you lost to Providence last year. You somehow beat Tennessee in one of the most hideous games I've ever seen. And so I think it's just going to take a while, especially like we alluded to. You're not necessarily young in your first six or seven guys in the rotation, but they are pretty new to playing with one another. I was surprised, though. ESPN's Basketball Power Index has you slightly favored against Creighton at a neutral side because there's a lot of hype about Creighton being a top-10 team. So you're getting respect from at least one of these analytical models. But I think you'll get one in Maui. I think Georgetown's a pretty easy home win based on how terrible they were last season. LSU's kind of a toss-up. Maybe a second game in Maui is a toss-up. But I think you'll finish with three in that stretch, so I'll, t- I'll take the under. Um, last season, you went 5-2 and two in the regular season and Big 12 tournament combined against Kansas, Baylor, and Texas 
five and one regular season, and then of course you lost to Kansas in the Big Twelve tournament championship game. Over or under a five hundred record this season against those three programs: Kansas, Baylor, Texas. Which it'll you could push if you don't play one of them in the Big Twelve tournament, but you'll probably wind up with an odd number, assuming you play at least one of them in the Big Twelve tournament. Got to go under 500. I, I think that Kansas team is a little bit of a question mark offensively. I think that Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCullough kind of need to to carry that team. Obviously, Grady Dick is a guy that looked really good in the exhibition game, but Baylor's really good. Um, I, I don't really know about Texas yet. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of cautious about them. I think that whatever Tyrese Hunter ends up being will kind of dictate their ceiling. But even the, even the ugliness of Kansas, I think it is enough to cause me some concern. So I'll uh, painfully go under 500. Texas will eventually beat Texas tech with Chris Beard. Um, But in this, you know, kind of preseason talk, it's because we're their Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm down on Kansas, and I don't know if it's literally just because I saw the one thing. Uh, they they looked awful. They 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 don't have, you know, Svi McKayluk this year. I guess Grady Dick might be the three point deadly guy. Um, but they also don't have uh, every basketball name just went out of my head. They don't have like uh the point guard right Agbaji. Or they don't have uh, Agbaji from last year. They don't have um, Devonta Graham or whatever his name is, was. Is McCormick still there? I, I don't believe so. I believe he's he's playing professional basketball. I think so too. But yeah, you're, you're right. They, they lost a lot of production. It's just like they don't have the fifth-year senior point guard that they've had or the fourth-year senior or the third-year guy who's played six – professional they don't have you know perry senior or whatever his name was who was a uh you know a tenured professor by the time he left yeah they just don't have that guy this year i'm I'm down on kansas kansas will finish third or lower okay there's 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 one um folks but you'll split with kansas because that's what happens you play him in fog Island. you can't win in lawrence i think you'll split with baylor um and then you probably split with texas so that's 500 Let's say I think it's more likely you beat somebody on the road and then get a lucky win at home. So I'll say over. Okay, I'm I'm retroactively surprised that you went five and one in the regular season against these three teams. Oh yeah, because you were not good on the road. I mean, you couldn't beat the bottom of the conference on the road. You couldn't beat Providence on the road, and yet somehow you win in Waco against what was, I think, one of the five best teams in the country last season. Should have beaten Kansas in the fog. You remember. Baji hit that Hail Mary um, in, I think, the first overtime to force double overtime. Yep. And then Terrence Shannon did not hit his Hail Marys. Correct. And like you said, you're not going to go 2-0 against Texas forever. But I am kind of curious how it's going to work at Texas with Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter. I mean, you have two ball-dominant ball stoppers. Is there enough basketball to go around? And as inefficient as Hunter was at times last season, I'm not totally sold on them. I guess I'll go under, though, just because it's so hard to win those games on the road. And I think you'll be really solid in Lubbock, so maybe 3-3. Three and three. But then the idea of maybe running into Kansas in the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City is kind of daunting. So I don't feel great about it, but I'm leaning under on that one. Big 12 road wins. You went 3-6 and six on the road last season. 
that kind of prevented you from maybe entering the discussion to be a two seed? And like I said, just strangely enough, you beat two of the four best teams in the conference on the road, but then couldn't beat Oklahoma State and Stillwater, Kansas State and Manhattan. One of those was a COVID game in Ames that you, I think, probably would have had a good shot to win at full strength. Ryan, do you think over or under three and a half Big 12 road wins this season? Oh, man. I'm going to go over mainly because I feel like the the bottom of the conference is pretty sketched to me right now. I think you can you can beat West Virginia and Morgantown, even as difficult of a place that can be to play. I think you can beat Kansas State, depending on how they kind of shape out through the rest of the season. And then I, I think you're good enough to find two wins elsewhere. And so uh, I'll take the over. Rob, three and a half? I'll take three and a half out of out of nine. Nine, yeah, I would take the over. I don't know. I think I'm also if it's if it's fair for me to be in believe it when I see it mode on TCU, it's also fair to me to be in believe it or see it, believe it when I see it mode on Texas Tech winning on the road. And they lost a lot of winnable games on the road in conference play last season. They're really good at home because the student section, the crowd is great. I guess I'll take under because I mean at that if you go over, you're pretty much almost five hundred on the road. And if you can do that, you're gonna have a really, really good season, assuming you I think you'll lose a couple home games. games. Yeah, I mean uh, yeah, that's gonna kind of correct at some point. But I'll I'll go under until proven otherwise. Last one I have Texas Tech will finish higher or lower in the Big Twelve conference than four and a half, which is kind of what you were preseason. You were tied for fourth with Oklahoma State in the four and five spots. So four and a half seems like the perfect number to go higher or lower. Where do you think we finish, Ryan? You're tied for fifth in the fifth and sixth spots. I don't think so. Baylor, Kansas, Texas, TCU. All ahead of you. Okay, so you're... Okay. Fifth and sixth, yeah. Let's do five and a half then. Let's do four and a half. I'm taking the under at five and a half. That's for sure. Four and a half. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think I'm I'm more sold on Kansas than it sounds like either of you are. I think Baylor is going to be really good. I just want to clarify, I'm not as out on Kansas as Rob is. (laughs) I'm not riding off Bill Self in Kansas this season. (laughs) I'll I'll go over four and a half. I, I feel pretty good about s- some sort of chaos happening in the Big Twelve. It just feels routine, and I think TCU and Texas both have a lot of good pieces, but it, it's about putting it together throughout the course of the season. So uh, f- four and a half on the over, it, it feels like uh, a, a good gamble. Rob, what say you? So you're predicting to finish fifth. We're under on five and a half and over on four and a half. Yeah. Most likely finishes fifth. Okay. Um I, I think I think they'll finish fourth. So I'll I'll go under on both. Okay. I mean, I think there's a it, it just takes you it takes TCU, right? Losing a couple because you don't think they're as good, or it takes Texas losing a couple because you don't think they're as good. Um, to get up into that fourth spot. And I think the Big 12 Conference is such that 
everyone beats everyone anyways. So I could absolutely see finish Texas, Texas Tech finishing at fourth. I think Kansas and Baylor are legit. I don't see you finishing higher than either one of those. I I think Bob Huggins and West Virginia are not going to be that good. They haven't been that good in the yeah. last few years. I think I, I love Jerome Tang at Kansas State. I think he's going to build them back to where they want to be as a program. I just think it might take more than one season to do it. Iowa State, I don't know. I don't know if I'm feeling the Cyclones this year either. So I think there's kind of a cushion at the bottom. I don't think you'll fall that far below like sixth. I think you'll finish ahead of one or of TCU or Texas. I think one of them will underachieve. The program I'm really curious about is Oklahoma, just because I think really highly of Porter Moser as a coach. And it didn't click at the beginning of last year, but it really started to at the end when they were almost an NCAA tournament team and really giving people a hard time um, in February and March. So I guess I guess I'll say fourth place. I don't feel great about it because I think a program like OU could jump you and maybe I'm wrong on my prediction that one of Texas or TCU will fall below you. But I, I'll say fourth. So I'll, I'll take higher than on both of those prop bets. That was all I had listed. So you want to run through some questions in the Diversified Lenders mailbag? Yes, check out our friends at diversifiedlenders.com if you want to learn about how to turn your accounts receivable into cash. First question, does Tyree Wilson complete the season or jump out and train for the draft, specifically if they make a bowl game? He'll complete the regular season. If we make a bowl, I hope he sits out. Yeah, same here. I, I don't. I think that would be probably a tougher choice for him, just given how he played in the Liberty Bowl last year. But uh, I think that he finishes out the season and then probably sits on the sidelines for if, if they make a bowl game wherever they're playing. He's a first-round pick. He has no incentive to play in the bowl game. Now, if we were in the Orange Bowl or even something like the Cotton Bowl, Alamo Bowl, maybe. But if we're in the whatever.com bowl that you just yeah. heard of for the first time because we go 6-6, six and six, and he doesn't need to play in that. I think whoever runs the Senior Bowl, the Reese's Senior Bowl, will call him and be like, dude, Tyree, just show up to mobile now, and we'll start working with you, and you'll go in the top 10 of the draft. Uh, is it safe to say TCU won the Super Bowl? Clearly. <laughs> I mean, look at how their athletic director, head coach, assistant coaches, and fans are responding more than 24 hours later on Twitter. Yeah. Tell me it's not their Super Bowl. Pretty obvious. Record be damned is the football program as a whole in a better place today than 12 months ago. Without a doubt, yes. And I think a lot of that really starts on, on the high school recruiting trail. I, I just I, I can't say enough uh, about Joey McGuire's recruiting ability and at the high school level. I think a lot of that shows on the offensive line and Man, there were a couple of really, really rough classes that, that came through Lubbock uh, the past couple of years. And so I, I say yes. Do I get to answer? Yeah. Yes, for the exact same reason he just said. This was also the number one reason that I wanted Wells gone. It wasn't just that you weren't producing on the field. It was that there was no help on the way. And so I'm not forgiving coach like, oh, well, he needs five years to turn around. No, it can be done in year two, year three. But you haven't had the horses for a decade, and he's finally – it appears the guy who's actually going to get you the horses to start competing consistently with Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU. Yeah, you're not on the you're not better on the field right now, but I think you will be better on the field at this time next year, um, and then you'll be even better on the field 
in this time two years from now because of the recruiting battles you're winning right now. And I, I agree with a lot of that there. If Hoka bragged about making our stadium not sell out and look super empty, what would be your response? So if if Hoka did what Donati did this summer and now chirping people and saying we're not selling to this fan base because we're terrified we're not going to keep this stadium red, what would your response be to that, Kyle? I'd be embarrassed, one, that the athletic director is acting like that publicly. Embarrassed, two, that our fan base wouldn't show up to support to the extent that it would require you to yeah. behave that way. I think it's hilarious that the goalposts have shifted so much. TCU can't sell 40,000 tickets to them as an undefeated top 10 team in a Metroplex with 5 million, 6 million people in it that they're like trying to clown tech fans. Like, hey, where were you guys? We didn't see any of you at the stadium. We're, we're the away team. Yeah. Y'all are the ones that are supposed to be here, not us. And like, would there have been more tech fans without Donati's antics? Yeah, but it's like... You guys have a you know thirty percent empty stadium during what could be your best season of all time, and you're mad that we didn't show up. Like, where are your people? My favorite play from the game um, was late in the game when TCU scored, and fans. I think it went up. They went up twenty one. No, they went up seventeen. I guess fans were streaming out, and this TCU guy turned around and was waving to this fan base that was streaming out saying, bye, tech fans. See you later, tech fans. Oh, look at the tech fans leaving. Every single fan that was leaving, not every, 80% of the fans that were walking down the stairs were in purple. Well, and he was like, bye, tech fans. <laughs> and TCU fans were streaming out of the stadium. Look, up 17. There's so much to do in Fort Worth. That when you're watching your alma mater, who's ranked in the top ten, win a football right. game, yeah. you got to dip out of there 30 minutes early to go to whatever restaurant. Yeah, you had to you get know, to Dutch's. Fort Worth, you know, it's like UCLA being by the beach and everything. Yeah, Kyle, I, not Kyle, Ryan. I, I do want to ask you from a marketing perspective: Is that good marketing to say our school sucks so much that we need to not sell tickets? It doesn't make sense. Regardless of what angle I look at it, I mean, just really a lot of the same thoughts as the two of you. I, I'm, I'm sure it's happened before, but I would love to know how frequently an opposing team's athletic director has boasted about the level of fans from the away team and then the head coach of that team calling him a stone-cold killer. Like he just pointed out that you were the home team. Yeah, that, that doesn't make you a stone cold killer, man. I would honestly, so, I would, I would kind of respect it had they pulled the ticket maneuver, because their whole thing is like, well, we want the home field advantage, we want to keep it purple, we want those seats for our fans. Right. That all makes sense to me. But even with all that, with you blocking tech fans from buying the tickets, your fans didn't show up. So like, had it been a sellout and it was filled with purple and their fans showed up, it's like, okay, well that's a good defense mechanism to keep us from taking over the stadium. But again, the demand is just not there. They cannot sell 40,000 seats to their own home football games. And the upper bowl was 50% red. The highest bowl. It's just on one side of the stadium, but... They're like robots. When I called the ticket office, I was giving the guy a hard time. I was like, I want to buy a Texas Tech ticket. He goes, well, we're not selling single game tickets. I said, well, I'll buy a group ticket or a season ticket. He's like, well, we're not doing that either. I said, why? He goes, well, that's a decision of the uh, administration. I said, why You know, why did the administration make that decision? He said, well, we want to keep it purple and have a home field advantage. And all their like burner bot accounts on Twitter use that same, like, oh, well, we wanted to keep it purple. It was empty. It wasn't purple or red. 
Yeah. Like you're not keeping it purple. You're keeping it empty because your fans suck. And we period. We easily sat in the middle bowl. I'm you know they tried to give away the twenty dollar tickets because yeah. they because they appreciate their faculty so much. And we, they they so sincerely <laughs> wanted to show their appreciation. And the faculty was like, eh, no thanks. So we got a ticket in the four hundreds, which is the very top level. The nosebleeds. And we just walked up one set of stairs and sat down and nobody ever said anything. In like the corner of the end zone. Lot it was great seats. Like first row of the upper deck. Yeah. Which nobody, is really close there nobody said a word. Nobody was like, hey, those are my seats. The, the TCU and fans. We had, we're sitting with eight people. We all found seats in one section, and half of them were TCU fans because they wanted Tech fans there too. The TCU fans who hooked us up with the tickets, which, by the way, shout out to the Lupton Beers podcast. They were like, you just need a ticket to get in, then you can go sit wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, that's just the, the mode of the fan base. You saw streams of people coming to our sections, no ticket in hand, no looking at the phone to see where your seats are, just like, oh, there's two open. And they go sit down. Yeah. Like I changed seats at halftime within our section because like yeah. whoever was there before didn't come back to that seat. So anyway. Uh, all right, let's rapid fire these last couple. Boom, boom, boom. More or less dunks than Beard's last two seasons combined. Make Texas Tech dunk again. Well, I don't know how many dunks we had. Um, uh, more because I think they K- had the dunk counter last year. I think KJ's going to play a lot. Yeah, and and K Mac and Bryson couldn't dunk. I mean, like for the most part, like they could if it was more. wide open. And, T- have, and TJ Shannon missed all of last year. We have more uh, alley oops and dunks this year, Ryan. Yes. Yeah, Elijah Fisher's going to rock the more dunks when he plays. Yes. Uh, does Fardaws make it back by January? Let's say, does he play? In the first half of January, does he play meaningful games? No. No. And if he does, it's, it's probably not going to be pretty. Over under home wins this season. You played 18 at home last year. I don't... Is there 18 games again? Yeah. Can, can we do conference since all the non-con are basically automatic wins? Well, yeah. There's, there's 17 home 17. games total this year. Okay. So, well, let's just do nine. I guess nine conference games. What's the total they're giving us? It just says over under, let's say seven and a half. They didn't give us a number. No. <laughs> um, so seven and a half is the number I would have picked. I will go a sad and snug under. I think you'll go seven and two in conference play. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the under at seven and a half in Big 12 play. I think I think you lose to Baylor in Kansas. Over, why not? Uh, over, under, 0.5 Bears fought by Mark Adams this season. I'll go under. That was too closely lined with the uh, Beard era. I don't think he'll yeah. box any more Bears. Under. Bears know that Mark Adams is the alpha, and they will not try him again. Look, if a Bear can't beat me in a fight, they definitely can't beat Mark Adams. Bacho scores over, under, 13 points per game. Let's call it 12 and a half. 13? 12 and a half? Yeah. Under. Ryan? Way, way, way under. You know, he averages a double-double? Kevin McCuller, Kyler Edwards, none of those guys ever had a season averaging more than 13 points per game. Yeah, Bryson Williams averaged 14 last year. Yeah. I'm going way under. Well, I think Keenan and, and Culver and their like player of the year type seasons were maybe 15 or 16. So we're talking about Bacho being a bucket and a couple free throws off of that. And, and I think that's that's lofty. Well, I hope he's going to win player of the year this year. So well, you said that. So you're, you're taking the over at 12 and a half then <laughs> hammering. Is he Dana Beers? Is he going to go 12 and 10 on us? Well, 11 and nine, but yeah, <laughs> I, I take 11 and nine. Uh, uh, Ryan, I want you to start on this one. What's the biggest worry for this year's Texas Tech basketball team? 
ball handling, in, in my opinion. I think both Harmon and Isaacs are going to have to click a bit to make this offense work. And so I'll, I'll go I'll go ball handling outside of the obvious issue of you're looking at a bigs rotation that, that's pretty thin with AMAC down. My biggest concern is <clears throat> probably just the lack of depth in the low post. I think O'Banner can do it. I think KJ can do it for 16 minutes a game. But I would have loved to have Dawes and Bacho healthy all season. Because Bacho is going to have to catch a breather at some point. Like, what do you do for the 10 to 12 minutes a game that he's not out there? It could get rough, especially against some of those teams like Oklahoma State that have bona fide big men. I, I don't love that part of the roster. Might be youth and experience playing together. Mostly youth. I already told you youth wasn't an issue, though. You, you're just not buying that? You're not picking up what I'm putting down? No. Okay. You got a bunch of freshmen. Uh, last one over under number of games before the first transfer portal announcement out of Texas tech. <laughs> but they didn't give you a total again. No, uh, I'll say this. It'll be before the semester break. Okay. Do you think it will happen? S- yeah. Somebody Let's a- just say yes or no. Yes. Yes or no. There's a transfer portal before the announcement semester. out of the year. What? Like, uh, Jonathan and Tomboy, not oh, Jonathan, Joel and Tomboy. Joel and Tomboy. Uh, Sardar Calhoun. Yeah, I think a guy like, and I hope these guys don't leave, but a guy like Kerwin Walton, Demarion Williams might not be getting the playing time they want. Maybe Lamar Washington, Pop Isaac as freshmen aren't getting the playing time they want at one of those guard spots. And they say, I'm not going to be the fourth or fifth guy off the bench here. I'll go find another program. Yeah, Washington is probably the one that concerns me just with how deep that guard rotation is. And I think he's going to be a really good player. And so I hope that he ends up getting getting to see the court quite a bit this season. But if I had to pick a guy that I, I feel like could leave, it would be Walton for me. I think you already had your transfer. And that was um, Duncan. Ethan Duncan? Yeah, Duncan. I, don't, I, I think you're just – I mean, you have 12 players on the roster? Or do you have full, a full 13? I think you only have 11 because Nadolny didn't come back, and one of them was already open before So you that. do just have 11? I think that's right. Ryan. And I don't think Corey Williams Jr. is expecting much playing time, so you have 10? No, no, no. He's not on scholarship. Right. No, I'm not talking about scholarship. I'm talking about total roster. Do you have 12? Oh. Um, I don't know. First off, Ryan, do you think – is that accurate that we have 11 scholarship players? I believe it's 12. I need to recount, but I think it's 12. Okay. I mean, if Corey Williams is here, he has a scholarship because you, you can have 13 scholarships. Why not give him one? You keep one open for a Jalen Tyson transfer. Well, I mean, sure. Because if, if a guy like that is transferring out of this program, you also want whoever's transferring out of North Carolina or UCLA or you know, wh- yeah. wherever. I think with an IL, you can just pay for his school anyways. You can. Was that the last one? Yep, that was the last one. Okay, uh, any final thoughts, Ryan? Steal my thunder. Basketball season, man. We're here. Got a very exciting 30-point spread on the schedule against Northwestern State. Hey, look, man. That team has a guy who is seven foot three, 315 pounds. Fastly. That is going to be a ton of fun to watch on Monday night. I'm ready for basketball season. Let's go. Yeah, it, it came at the right time this year because it's crazy what a difference nine days makes on football season. We were pretty confident before the Baylor game, and you play two games over the span of seven days, and everyone's mindset changed. So I'm glad basketball is here. 
real quick, uh, I've seen the line close to like 30, and I saw a total at 141.5. I'm going to say you cover and go under. What do you think, Ryan? My exact thoughts. That that's a pretty crazy uh, point total, but I feel confident that that you'll cover that. Rob, Texas Tech in the over, and I will bet that until the end of the season, okay. every single game. I'm going Tech in the under, but yeah, I'm excited for basketball season two. Ryan, we're excited to have you on the squad uh, as we start covering basketball season. We're gonna, of course, get into our. What do we call them? The people's post game. Once we once we get rolling here, we're gonna not gonna do that yeah, for tomorrow. some of the non conference games, but we will do Gouchers after dark Monday night to recap this weekend of Big Twelve football, recap the season opener for Texas Tech basketball. Uh, Ryan, we hope you can join us for that if, uh, if you're free Monday night. But uh, I guess we will talk to everybody then. Love y'all. Thanks, Ryan. Sorry that went pretty long.